So good to be here with you this morning, and for those of you online, good morning. Um, my name's Derwin. I'm really glad you're here. Are you glad you're here? Yeah, I thought so. I could see it in your eyes. You look hopeful today. Um, now, if you're here last week, oh, by the way, before we get into it, um, just we have produced a beautiful invite for Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve is coming, and uh, those are at the back. If you like, want to start inviting friends, please feel free to grab one, and know for yourselves, uh, services are at 3.30 to 5.30. Please hand one of these out. Uh, so good. Great, great time to invite our friends and family to come to church. Um, now, if you're here last week, we uh, talked gardens, lots about gardens. And I want to add a qualifier to what I said last week. I may have overstated my skills as a gardener. I had uh, some of you requesting home visits to inspect my work, and I just want to manage your expectations, okay? <laughs> Actually, if there's any really good stuff going on in my garden, it's for my wife. She's the green thumb. But uh, we're in the series in the Gospel according to Matthew. And last week was this theme of farming and gardening. And as we looked at this parable of Jesus, Jesus talked about four types of soils, which really was pro to prompt us to think about when it comes to our receptivity to God, His Word, His work in our lives, what type of soil are we? And, and now our text today is another farming parable and metaphor, and it's all about wheat and weeds. Now, it's a really challenging parable, and so I uh, got some backup today from Tim Mackey. He's the founder of the Bible Project, and he really helped me frame this message because the parable that we're looking at today has some huge questions, themes around evil, and where does evil come from in our world, uh, themes around justice and and judgment, and hell, and what to do with evil people, and, and did I mention hell? This is <laughs> complete with images of gnashing teeth and fiery furnaces. Aren't you glad you're here this morning? But as we unpack this, we discover a Jesus that so loves his world that he's devoted to, he's committed to dealing with evil, and he wants to remove it from our world as an act of mercy and grace. So why don't we pause and we pray and invite Jesus to speak to us today. Jesus, um, thank you for the stories you told and trying to give us a window into reality. Help us to, this morning be those, as you said, the, be the ones who have ears with which to hear. Open our ears. Uh, help us to uh, learn what you're trying to teach us through this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start with kind of the bigger picture, and then we'll dive into the parable. But many of us have grown up to, with this kind of dominant idea that our ultimate future is one of two destinations, heaven or hell. And if we hold the right beliefs and we're kind of good enough, we get to go to the good place. But if we hold the wrong beliefs and, you know, we're not quite good enough, we go to the other place. And on top of that, we have all these very culturally informed ideas of what those good places and other places look like. One place is harps and angels and clouds and pearly gates. And the other place, not so pleasant. You know, fiery furnaces, hot, you know, complete with red horned devils, sometimes with tails. I got my uh, image of hell, I think, growing up by reading the Far Side comics. And, and that's probably dating myself, but that was where I learned about hell a lot, along with church. 
But so getting saved or becoming a Christian was sometimes, at least of my experience, pitched as kind of a fire insurance, you know, to protect you from going to that other place. So when you die, you'd go to the good place. Now when Jesus came, what he talked about was not so much this contrasting pair between heaven and hell. Let me ask you, what did Jesus talk about the most? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It's a theme all throughout Scripture, especially the, the Gospels, uh, all through Matthew. We get a summary of it in Matthew chapter 4. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. He was preaching the good news, which was what? The kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus is saying that, that heaven is not just this end destination that we look forward to after we die. Heaven is a reality that somehow is part of our here and now. Now this opens up to us the whole story that the Bible is trying to tell us. It starts right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, right at the very, very first verse. Some of you know this. Uh, it says this, in the beginning God created what? The heaven and the earth. The, the heavens and the earth. What it doesn't say is God created heaven and hell. Rather, heaven and earth. The, the counterpoint of heaven in the Bible is not hell. It's what? It's earth. Tim Mackey explains this well. He says it's like two kind of overlapping circles. You know, if you can imagine, they're, they're literally almost on top of one another. One represents God's space, heaven, and one represents earth, human space, right? So you have then the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2, and it's the story of God and his good creation. And God rules his good creation through people who bear his image, who he calls and gives this mandate to rule and to steward and to caretake his good world. And in the garden, God and human beings live together in perfect harmony. In fact, that old Coke ad, I'd love to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony, really is like, it's wishing back for that thing that happened in the garden. So how long does that perfect harmony last? Not very long. <laughs> Two chapters. Then comes Genesis 3, which theologians call the fall. This disastrous event where Humans seek independence from God. They're thinking we can define maybe, you know, good and evil for ourselves. And because God made human beings with dignity and, and gave them his image, God allows humans to do a kind of a radical thing, to actually push heaven from earth. So it begins this kind of great divide between heaven and earth, and God allows human beings to live independently. And then if you read the next nine chapters, ten chapters of Genesis, Genesis 3 to 11, they, they kind of tell the history of the world in ten chapters and, and just how human brings bring on this destruction and evil and, and sin into God's good world. It's a mess. So where does hell come in? 
Remember the story of the Bible starts with heaven and earth, which means whatever hell is, hell and evil and sin are consequences of something that comes later into the story. And it's actually human beings who unleash hell on earth. Um, How do we know this? Well, we actually see this in the teaching of Jesus. Jesus, kind of like heaven actually, uses hell not only to describe a future reality, but also a present reality that is brought on by people. You see this in Matthew 23, where Jesus is kind of warning the Pharisees. He's speaking these woes over the religious leaders. And he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. So for Jesus... Hell isn't just something that we think about for the future. Here he's describing something that the Pharisees were doing in the present, in the here and now. And and what are they doing? What does he call them? Hypocrites. I saw the, I think it was like a a poster or a a bumper sticker quote one time that said, um, the church is not full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more. Terrible, right? How would you define hypocrisy or a hypocrite? We'd call it religious pride. And so when people act with religious pride and hypocrisy, it's not just sin. Jesus actually says they're creating or unleashing hell in God's good world. In James chapter 3, we see another example of hell kind of in the present tense. James says, He's talking about the tongue. He says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. James doesn't pull any punches here. He uses some really strong language, like, tell us what you really think about the power of the tongue, right? our words. I mean, think about it. Think about the words that we use in our workplaces, in our marriages, in our homes, in our, in our relationships with our neighbors, uh, and, and how, you know, with, with just a few words, you can ascribe great worth and value to somebody. You can lift somebody up and not just make their day, you can maybe make their life by words we say. It has that kind of power. But we all know, also know the converse, right? How how hell is like, I mean, our words can be like fire in somebody's life, how we can tear someone down. I have uh, a couple of friends who in the last year or so um, said some things to one another in an argument, and it was like it unleashed hell in their lives. And neither of them have been able to let it go. Neither of them have been able to, to reconcile because of Words that were sent, said in kind of frustration and anger in a heated moment. And James says, with our gossip, or with our slander, with the words that we use, the same words with which we encourage people, we can tear them down. We can unleash hell in the world. So it seems to be both with Jesus and with the apostles that hell is something we ourselves have unleashed and can unleash here in God's world now. We do it with our sin We do it with our selfishness. We can do it with our our evil. And the horrible consequences of that are hell. We create it. We unleash it. This is the bad news. 
So what's the good news? According to Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is now here. The divide between heaven and earth has been bridged by Jesus. And the whole mission of Jesus is to get the hell out of earth. That's, that's his mission. That's the good news. The kingdom of heaven is here and it confronts hell and it wants to get the hell out of the world. And let me say, he wants to get the hell out of you. Here's the, the surprising thing. Hell actually fits into the story of God's mercy. Because God could kind of wash his hands of us and walk away and kind of watch the world burn. And we'd be just stuck. It'd be kind of like a Groundhog Day spiral of ever-worsening violence and awfulness. It would just never end. But in God's mercy, he doesn't allow human evil to go unchecked forever and ever and ever. This is actually the story of Advent and, and why Christmas is such a big, big deal. It's, it's so much more than about the, the cute arrival of a little baby in a stable. It's, it's God come down to confront evil head on. And he tells, Jesus tells this parable to help us understand what he's up to. He takes this very difficult idea to understand and he sets it beside something very simple and easy to understand so that we might get the more difficult thing. So the parable. In the parable, Jesus tells the story of a farmer sowing seed. And the focus this time isn't on the soil, it's what grows in the soil. Now what's the farmer trying to grow? It's not a trick question. It's wheat. I like it. I like it. For most of us, wheat is a really good thing. I've got to say I have had a love affair with wheat my whole life right? I mean, wheat is something I'm pretty addicted to, and I feel bad for you, celiacs. I'm so sorry. Um, but he, he plants good wheat, and the farm workers sleep, and when they wake up, they're, what do they see when they wake up in the morning? There's weeds. And I got to say, I'm no happier about weeds this week than I was last week. Anyone like weeds? No, we don't. And pulling weeds is awful. Now, in the parable, Jesus focuses on the two questions the farm workers come to the farmer and ask. He said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? So what's Jesus doing here? In the parable, it's about the kingdom of heaven invading earth. Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is here, and he's the Messiah who's confronting evil and bringing the kingdom and it's Jesus the farmer, when you think about it. He's, he's the son of man in the story who's sowing good seed. But as we read earlier in the earlier chapters of Matthew, how do the, the religious leaders react to his sowing? Not well. They, they oppose him, actually. They begin to hate him, and they begin to plot how to kill him. What are they? And in a sense, the, the Pharisees in that story are kind of like the weeds, and Jesus comes bringing the kingdom, planting the kingdom here on earth. So why all these weeds? And the farmer's response is this. An enemy did this. So Jesus does actually kind of call out the Pharisees here, but he also points to something uh, that is a darker reality of evil and darkness that goes right back to 
Genesis chapter 3, again, where you see humans influenced by this serpent in the garden. Really a symbol of some kind of spiritual, personal evil. And Adam and Eve in the garden come to believe the lie that God is holding out on them, that, that they could maybe know better than him, that they should maybe define good and evil for themselves, that they would be better off if they ran the show rather than God running the show, if they had their independence from God. Jesus sees an enemy behind this, sowing evil into the world. Now, this is very subtle in Scripture, and Jesus doesn't tell us a lot about who this is. But again, push come to shove. It's, it's actually not the enemy who does it. It's human beings who choose and embrace to do evil and unleash hell in God's good world. They bite. The, the devil tempts, and they respond. And Jesus sees that evil is actually something that is foreign to God's good world. It's an intruder. Evil's an intruder. And it's an intruder in your life, and it's an intruder in mine. It's like uh, those moments in your life, you, you've had these, where you know that you're tempted to say or do something to some other person, and you know it's wrong, and you're, there's this battle going on in your mind, right? You, you got the angel, and it seems like the angels and devils are having it out, and you're wrestling with it, but you struggle, and then say you give into it. And, and maybe it felt good in the moment, but what does it do? Eventually, it kind of leaves this bad taste in your mouth. You know it wasn't good. And we experience something like this, and it's like an intruder, yet we somehow choose it. Jesus says, this is an enemy. And, and Jesus, again, doesn't nearly explain it enough, but evil is a very real intruder into God's world and into our lives. Jesus wants to get the hell out of you and out of his good world, and this is good news. Second question that the farmer, farm workers ask the farmer do you want us to go and pull up all the weeds? They're thinking, you know, we've just got these new, you know, amazing gas-powered weed whackers, and uh, we'd, got, we'd love to, to have the opportunity to try these out in the field, right? Um, What's wrong with that, actually, is, is and it's, if you can take my uh, use of a weed whacker as an example, is you pretty much cut out all kinds of things you didn't want to cut out, right? That's, that's one problem with that. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like at, chomping at the bit, can we go uproot these weeds? Can we do it? Come to, can we? Can we? And the farmer says, no, bad idea. Here's why. He says, because while you're pulling the weeds, you might uproot the wheat with them, let them both grow together until the harvest. What's he doing here? First, Jesus is assuming that the farm workers aren't a good judge between wheat and weeds. This, uh, this kind of seems strange at first because I think most of us think we're pretty good experts on weeds, right? Like what we have in our mind when we think of weeds, uh, we think of dandelions and crabgrass, and I think of like really hard to pull out thistles and things like that. But the word Jesus uses for weeds here is actually a Greek word which describes a very specific type of invasive plant called darnel. Farmers actually call it false wheat because it can look like wheat. 
which means it, it's not always clear what are weeds and what are wheat. You can take a look there. They look very, very similar at many stages of their growth. Now, I think we might like to think of ourselves as good judges of people's character. I, th I think most of us think that. We do this, right? We weed, wheat, weed, wheats. You know, most of us are pretty good, I think, at putting other people into categories. You know, we think of them as that's a good person, that's a bad person, that's a, that's a blend, that's a really bad person. We, we, we do this, right? And on top of that, there's this peace, I think, that is in all of our hearts. It just seems to be part of the human condition where we tend to maximize the flaws of others and minimize our own flaws. I think most of us have moral superiority kind of down. I mean, we've kind of mastered that. We have this inborn you know, sense of moral pride over others. Of course I'm wheat, and they're weeds. And then when we take our ideas of, of justice and, and exacting judgment on who we might think are, are weeds, it just leads to disaster, right? All, all kinds of examples of the church doing this throughout history, where, where they took on that role of being kind of the Jesus police. And let me ask you, how did those situations turn out? Not so well. And then again, throughout church history, there have been times where we've tried to purify the church. Like, let's, let's get rid of all the dead wood and just kind of pare things down to the really committed, the really good people. And such attempts have often created the type of church that's filled with people or, or looks more like those who crucified Jesus rather than those who followed Jesus. You ever hear the line of, of two Puritans who are talking to one another? The one said, there is none so righteous as me and thee, and sometimes I worry about thee. <laughs> so Jesus doesn't trust his followers to be judges or good judges of which is which, wheat and weeds. He never gives us the role of being the Jesus police. It just leads to trouble. We're never to take on Jesus' role as judge. So if judging is not our job, what is our job? We join Jesus in sowing wheat, in sowing the kingdom, in growing wheat. <laughs> that's our job because that's what Jesus does. Think about it. What's Jesus' response to hell being unleashed on earth? Jesus' response is, is to sow the good news. I mean, God has not rejected our world despite all we've done. Rather, in Jesus, he's come to us as fully human to actually be the kind of person who has Tim Mackey coined, is actually hell-free. Yeah, hell-free human being. And in Jesus' death, we see how the hell we have unleashed is now directed at him. He literally takes upon himself all the consequences of our sin and our evil, and, and he allows it to destroy him. And because of his love for us, because of his commitment to us is so strong, Evil itself kind of breaks itself on Jesus in his resurrection and his death. And then for those who would allow Jesus' life and death and resurrection to then begin to define them, to own that, to receive that with gratitude and, and trust, to humbly 
begin walking in the way of Jesus, what, what Jesus' life becomes is a gift for us that begins to change us from weeds into wheat. It's so good. And every single one of us needs that kind of transformation. We, we do, because Jesus knows our nature. He just knows how, for each of us, our own hearts are a, a mix, aren't they, of weeds and wheat. You don't have to look very closely to see that there's weeds in there, right? You, you know it. And Jesus takes evil far more seriously than we do. Now, it's real obvious there are some things in our world we, we all agree they need to be pushed out. Think about the kind of um, senseless violence and brutality that we see in Ukraine right now. You know, just the results of war. We're kind of watching it day by day on the news, and, and it's just brutal. And I, I think most of us, we'd be happy for peace. We'd be happy for there to be a ceasefire, for there to be an end to the violence. And yes, Jesus wants that. But Jesus wants more. Jesus won't be satisfied until those heart attitudes of anger and contempt and hatred and rage are removed from our world. Think about abusing children for sex. A horrific evil in our world. We'd all agree that it needs to stop. And actually, Jesus agrees. But we'd likely be content if childhood abuse was removed. But, but Jesus won't be satisfied until lust is removed from our hearts, this drive to, to use or abuse another person for our own pleasure. You see, we'd be content with kind of like some surface pruning, but Jesus wants to uproot evil from our hearts. And this is good news, but it's going to challenge us quite obviously in some deep, deep ways. We'd frankly, be quite content with the surface pruning. But the best news is that Jesus, in Jesus, the kingdom of God is here, and through his life and death and resurrection, we can actually be turned from weeds into wheat. But one of the challenges is it doesn't leave any of us room or space to stand over and above others. It puts us all on level ground, needing God's mercy and grace. So how does the parable end? Sadly, not everyone gets turned into wheat. Jesus explains the parable. Now, as we think about his explanation, I just want you to keep in mind the Jesus we've come to know. His compassion, his mercy, his grace, his love for the outsider. Keep in mind the good news. Keep, on, keep in mind God is on a mission to heal his good earth. This, this mission, he's on a mission to push evil out of the world. Isn't that great? We get this in verse 41. It says, the Son of Man, uh, again referring to Jesus, will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the picture there is really of a day that's coming where Jesus will oversee where, where everything that causes sin and all who do evil will be pushed out of the world. They'll no longer be able to coexist in God's good world. It just can't. At, at some point, Jesus will cut out the infection. It, just, it, it won't be allowed to, to ravage the earth any longer. 
Now back to heaven and earth for a moment, because that's where we started in the first pages of the Bible. Heaven and earth gets pulled into this rebellion, and hell gets unleashed. It, and, and hell kind of is the storyline of, of much of the Bible. But then if you go to the last pages of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the last page or two, the, these are images of, of heaven and earth reunited. The, the, the two circles that were once divided are now coming back together. It's this new heaven and new earth, and it's described like this gorgeous um, garden city that's emerging, expansive and welcoming and beautiful, a place where there's no more sorrow and no more tears, no more war, no more brokenness, no more greed, no more shame. So where does evil go when heaven and earth are created? Do they have a place in the city, this garden city? No, they don't. They're pushed outside. We, and, and we don't really know where they get put. We know that hell is outside. We do know that hell cannot exist in that place. There's no room for that. So what does Jesus tell us? Verse 42. They, the angels, will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Notice a couple things here. Even though he's explaining the parable, it's not like Jesus is being extremely exact here. The first hearers would actually have heard, had this kind of ringing bells in their head, and it would take them back to an Old Testament book called Daniel, where we have all these same images, the Son of Man, the, the blazing furnace, the angels shine like the sun. We, we find those in the Old Testament book of Daniel. So what kind of book is Daniel. It's kind of this apocalyptic, prophetic, like, I mean, and there's, it's filled with all kinds of images that are really challenging. It's got dragons and weird beasts and all these kind of things, right? It's, it's filled with symbols. And Jesus draws on these symbols to describe hell. And actually, sometimes when Jesus would describe hell, he'd, he'd actually use contradictory images. Back in Matthew 8, he describes he talks of, of hell being where those are thrown outside where? Into the darkness. And here in Matthew 13, he talks about being thrown into a blazing furnace. One image is darkness. One image is a blazing furnace. Which, you got dark and you got light. Jesus, which is it? Kind of make up your mind here. Pitch black or full of fire. And I think all of this is to remind us that when we think about this, Jesus is not using literal language. It's metaphor. And metaphors are something meant to help us understand something that's, that's difficult to understand, but all the same, it's very, very real. We use metaphors to try and help us get at the truth of something that's real. But sometimes there's just not adequate language to describe that reality. It's like trying to describe love in other words than love, right? It's very difficult. So what do these images point to? Darkness. Darkness is an image of what? I think darkness is a, a, a strong picture of loneliness and isolation, kind of a lostness. And it's the separation that comes from our sin where I 
refuse to accept God's authority over me. Where we want to define evil and good for ourselves, in a sense, I'd rather be alone than be with God. Fire is this destructive picture of of something breaking down so it's no longer recognizable for what it once was. That, that the, the way that sin and evil and, and hell in our lives, how it dehumanizes us. Some of you have you've known uh, and seen the trajectory of a person who maybe walks into addiction or just down a path and, and you can see it actually dehumanizing them as people. N.T. Wright, the the Bible scholar, uh, describes hell this way. He says, hell is a state of being of creatures that once were human, that once did reflect the image of God, but have chosen to do so no more. Then there's gnashing teeth. I always hated that one. It just never sounded good. Gnashing teeth is a picture of anguish and loss. It could also be a picture of anger and hatred. Why would anyone choose this? Why would anyone choose this kind of reality? Why wouldn't everyone want the kind of healing and life that Jesus offers? Participating in the life of God's kingdom now. Well, remember that hell is a reality now, not just a future destination. And in some senses, all of us are actually experts on hell. We have our own little bit of expertise on this. Why, when objectively we have enough, we click and buy more? <laughs> why, why, why is it that kind of greed seems to rule the day for so many of us? Why do we find it just so naturally easy to gossip and put down? I'm not just talking about our enemies, but to actually put down our friends. To gossip about somebody we actually care about. Why is it we do that? In a sense, why does, why does looking lustfully come so easy for us? In a sense, we choose hell all the time. As C.S. Lewis said, it's, it's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing up which will of itself be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. And so if we, if we choose to live disconnected from God, isolated, God will let us, he, he, he's given us that kind of dignity. He honors the choices that we make. That, that's an amazing gift of God. But what God won't do long-term is allow my evil to continue to ruin his good world. He'll remove it so it won't hurt others and so it won't hurt his world. Do we know exactly what hell is? Not really, and Jesus doesn't explain it. Jesus kind of says, in a, in a sense, this is not your lane, right? This is not meant for you to be in charge of this whole idea. What are you meant to be about? Growing wheat. Get busy sowing the kingdom. I want to say a couple final things that this parable leaves us with. First is hope. When we look at our own lives in the mixed bags of wheat and weed that we are, the good and the bad and the ugly, and we ask the question, am I ever going to change? And then when we look out at our world and we see kind of like injustice and brokenness, is there ever any hope for that? Is, is it ever going to be dealt with? Does God even care? care? This parable's answer to that is a strong yes. Just because we're not to judge 
doesn't mean there isn't a judge. God is a just judge. And he hears the cries of the hurting and the, the abused, the victims, and the powerless. And he also hears our prayers of repentance and confession. And he sees our desires to want to change and be more aligned with his kingdom. This parable is a word of hope to us. It's also a challenge. It's a challenge because Jesus doesn't give us any kind of leg up that we can hold over anyone else. What do we have? You know, what do we hold on to as believers in Jesus? It's just this simple acceptance and recognition of the good news that Jesus lived and died and rose for us. And we acknowledge that, he, that he lived for me, that he died for me, that he, that he rose for me. And when, when he looks at me, he now sees wheat. <laughs> he sees past my weeds. It's so good. He sees his life in me and what he's done for me. And the only way this really should make us different, it, it doesn't give us a sense of moral pride. What it gives us a sense of profound gratitude and humility and the desire to serve our world and join him in sowing his kingdom and let Jesus kind of sort out all the rest. So there's hope and there's challenge. Why don't we pray this morning? And I, I want to just give you some time to kind of process what we've been talking about. This has been a hard topic, but this might be a moment where we pray for those we love, where we might pray for people who we know are in the grip of hell that they would come to know the Jesus that wants to invade their life and wants to begin pushing hell out and restoring and renewing them and making them whole. And there may be some of us who we can see things in our own lives, in our character, in who, who and how we live, and we kind of sense that Jesus wants to deal with that too. And so we come this morning and we can confess and we repent and trust that Jesus can deal with the hell that he finds inside each one of us. And that he in his mercy will transform our weeds into wheat. And we allow for his death and resurrection to become all the more real to us. So why don't we pray for a little bit. Just going to give you some silence what might God be speaking to you this morning?
Thank you this morning, Lord, that, uh, God, you did not walk away from this broken world and kind of wash your hands of us and leave us to the hell that we were in. But you sent your son to come in a rescue mission to confront evil and to push hell out of our world. And you want to you do that for the whole world. You want to deal, Lord, I know, with the injustices that we see, we read about, we watch on the news. And you want to do that in our own lives, too. And you want to liberate us and free us and, and uproot those things would, that would ultimately kill us. And so, God, we pray this morning, would you do a work in us uh, and it's going to be a long work, we know, of turning our weeds into wheat and growing us into the kind of people that would be just increasingly more compatible with your kingdom. I pray, Lord, for our friends, our loved ones. We know you don't want this just for us. You want it for them, too. And we know we have no leg up on them. We, we can't judge a human heart or a life. But we pray that uh, where possible, God, we might be able to join you in your work of sowing wheat in our world, of bringing your kingdom, of, of showing the light, of, of testifying to um, our experience of you changing us. We bless you, Lord, this morning. Work in us, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.